Thank you for being here. How are you all doing? It's so good to see you. Thanks so much for uh, being a part of our church service and, and as we worship the Lord together. And, and uh, uh, it's so good to, to see Amy and, and, and Brian and, and Jeff leading us. Last night, the, the, the ushers in the back of the room were trying to get a, Jeff's attention. They were making faces at him and things like that. Jeff, you did a great job. Thank you so much. <laughs> he, he hates that. Uh, which makes it more fun to do. <laughs> Sorry. Romans chapter 9 starts the next phase in the book of Romans. We, we kind of overviewed it last week. And we, we saw that the first eight chapters was, was mostly about salvation, but not just purely salvation. It was salvation that was, was secure in who you are in Christ, that God has has not died in vain for you. Your salvation is secure. He holds it faithfully for you. And He will not allow any single one of us who come to Him in faith to perish. That's His promise. And so he, Paul made it certain that, that we understood that, and then he made it certain that, that salvation was available to everyone. Which which made it difficult on the Jewish, Jewish brethren, his brethren at that time, the Jews, because they felt this was theirs. Their heritage gave them the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the very God that they worshipped. And they felt estranged all of a sudden, as we explained last week. And so what Paul does in the first five verses, and that's what we will touch on today, he expresses his sorrow, I mean his deep sorrow, over their spiritual condition, Israel's spiritual condition. But Israel's spiritual condition can be blended into any of our spiritual condition, any of us who, who for whatever reason have rejected Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And some are, are very legitimate, I mean they... They, they want to think it through. They, they just have to think through what does it mean to accept Christ. I can recall vividly, I was in my middle 30s when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And it was a, it was a big deal to me because I, meant, I wanted to do it with purpose. And I wanted to do it with meaning. I just didn't want to accept Him and, and be just a, a whole hum Christian. And I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Well, what I realized is that we're all hypocrites. But I wanted seriously to be a Christian that, that walked with integrity. I wanted that. And that kept me from Christ for a while because I didn't think I could ever live up to that. And I was taught that, no, you will never be able to live up to that. God will help you to do what He wants you to do in your life. But God is the one who will move and, and motivate you, John. And so I, I, I came to Christ at, at later in life. And so I understand a little bit of, of what's going on in the, in the mindset, not only of the Jews, but of the Gentiles that have, have pushed away Jesus Christ. And so look at how Paul starts this. Now I'm going to read these verses unlike what I normally would read a verse. Normally I read straight through, do not edit, make any edit to it. But in this case I would like to say a couple of things reading through verses 1 to 5 because they are such a unique place in the Word of God. Because look how Paul begins verse 1 of chapter 9. 
Paul says, I am telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience, he says, testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have, watch him now, great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. May I add the words for you who have rejected Christ. And here in verse 3, Paul writes some words that before this weekend, or before this week in studying, were beyond my comprehension. They're still magnificent words. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Listen to me what Paul says in verse 3, and try, try, try to grasp what he is saying. He has just told them that he's telling them the truth in Christ. I'm not lying to you, he says. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. How great is my sorrow and how unceasing is my grief for you in my heart. For I could wish, verse 3, that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ. That means that I would, would, would cast my own self into hell. For the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's talking to those who are of Israel. Let me remind you what you already know. And that is Paul is writing these words under the very inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit. He is saying under God's inspiration that if he could, he would go to hell for Israel. He would be separated from Christ forever for their sake, if he could. I had to stop when I read that. I had to stop when I studied it. I went from one commentary to the next to the next. Uh, to be very honest with you, I, I didn't get a lot of um, peace about what some of the commentators said. Some of them just passed over verse 3. I don't think if you, if you really want to know Paul, if you really believe that this, this guy is a pastor of the church in Rome and he's on fire for the Lord and he's grieving for them, he's got great sorrow for them and he says, you know, if I could, I would go to hell for you. That's a great statement. I wrote down for myself and I would love for you to think about it. Who, who could you say those words for? I came up with nobody. Not even my wife, nor my kids. I mean, very sincerely, would I cast myself into hell forever, separated from God forever, tormented in hell forever for anyone? And Paul, he is making that statement for, for everyone, all of his kinsmen, all of his brethren in the flesh, all of Israel. Man, you talk about loving somebody. I, I love Paul beyond your wildest dream. Paul goes on to say in verses 4 and 5, separated for those who he says, you're, you're Israelites, you're Jewish people, to whom belongs, watch, the adoption as sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, temple service, the promises, Whose are the fathers? In other words, you come from a heritage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
who worship the God of Israel. And you come from those whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who, as we just sang this beautiful song of holy, 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 who is God blessed forever. He ends with, so be it. Amen. I want to pray with you right now because as we prepare our hearts for communion, I I want you to understand what God is trying to say to us. I I, I want to get out of the way as best I can. I studied hard. I'll I'll tell you that right up front. I I do every week. I I, I take very seriously this, this, this hour or whatever time I have up here. I take it very, very seriously. Because the bottom line is, I, I, I do love you, and I'm going to explain that in a little bit. And I do want all of us to walk with Christ. It's my, it's my deepest desire, my deepest desire. I, I, w- I won't hide my agenda. My agenda for you is that I'm, I'm going to try with all of my heart to encourage you and me to walk with Christ unashamedly and with great passion. It's my desire. It's my desire. It's not a social issue to me. Uh, None of it is. It's all about your individual desire to walk with Christ. And the beauty of it is, is, is twofold as I see it. Nobody, nobody can make you come to Christ. It's not anyone's privilege to do. But on the other hand, nobody, nobody can stop you from walking with Christ with all of your heart. It's a wonderful individual privilege that each of you have on your own. And I want to spark that within your spirit, if the Lord will allow me. And so what I ask Him to do every week is to get me out of here. Get me out of the way so that you can speak to all of us. So let's pray. Father, I do pray for that, that you would... Move me. I, I understand, Father. I'm, I'm here. I'm speaking. I get it. I'm not naive about that. But I do wish, Father, that you would move me aside, that you would speak to us, that we might hear your heart, not, not the speakers, and that you would open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, because it is your law that you tell us will never, ever come back void. It will accomplish what you've sent it out to do. So we preach your word, Father. We desire that so that you might move individually in each heart here. And only you can do that, Father. There's no speaker on the face of this earth that can do what you can do. And so, Lord, would you please bless us? And and in return, Father, more importantly, would we bless you by the way we live our lives for Christ? Thank you for every soul that's here, every person and every family. Father, some are not here and for whatever reason, uh, like the kids up at, at camp. Bless them, please. Watch over them, please. Heal up uh, Josh and anyone else that got injured there and allow them to come home just on fire, Father, uh, just passionately in love with you. Bring them home safely. Watch over Bill McKnight as you... Um, have him operated on this Wednesday. Make it be a very special, special time that it heals his knee and, and has enabled him to get around as he'd like. And so now, Father, bless us all. Bless us in the most powerful name that we know of, and that's the name of your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.
Amen. Here's the deal. Paul had just presented the first eight chapters of Rome with divine truths and assurance of those who trust in Christ. For those who understood that, it was thrilling. It was beyond thrilling to those who have trusted in Christ. On the other hand, as Paul mentions in the first three verses, it is devastating to those who do not believe. And to the Jews in particular, because they felt totally secure without Paul giving them the first eight chapters. After all, they worshiped the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Abraham was their forefather, wasn't he? And so up to Paul's teaching, they felt totally secure in the God of Israel. They felt secure in their heritage. They felt secure in their ceremonies, in their rabbinical traditions, in their works. You know, that's not unlike a lot of religious people. I've, I've, you know, I've shared Christ with almost anything that moves, and, and I, I will, and, and I love to, to have the, give a person a privilege, and, and I've come up to so many people that says, you know, I don't need Christ. I'm, I'm a pretty decent person, I, you know, compared to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and, so and I get that. I get it. I understand that completely. But I hear so many people say, you know, I've, I, I try to be a good person. I do more good than I do bad. I'll guarantee you that. And it's hard to tell a person that, that is a good person that your goodness doesn't get you to heaven. It's your faith in Christ. That's a, that's a hard thing to comprehend for some. The dearest person in the, my life was my father. And my dad rejected Christ for the, a period of time because he just didn't think that it was right for someone that was... He, this is what he asked me. You, you'll get it. He said, you mean to say some guy on death row, right? And I'm thinking, okay, here he comes. Like, I've never heard this before, Dad, but go ahead, tell me. And he's walking down. Uh, they're going to kill him. And, and, and the guy asks him to accept Christ, and his sins are forgiven. And he says, I accept Christ. You mean to say that he's, he's forgiven? What do you tell him? Of course, Dad, he's forgiven. Try to explain the thief on the cross, the whole thing. And it was hard, hard for my father because my dad was a moral man, but he wasn't a believer. By the grace of God, my dad gave his life to Christ late, late in life and, and accepted Christ. And so I, I this doesn't, these words don't, don't fall on me empty. I get it. I get it. These religious people who took seriously what Paul was saying in the first eight chapters would likely feel that the gospel could have rendered them an outcast, especially Jew Jewish people perhaps written off by God, because now he is turning to the Gentiles, they thought. Not, not so, he was turning to everyone, including all of us. And they were thinking, would faith alone in Christ be enough to forgive me of all the junk I have done in my life? And what about my heritage? What about my background? Do I have to cash that all in? Because of Christ? So many people think like that. So what does Paul do? Now watch now. This is the fun part of studying the Bible. We read a while ago out of chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, where Paul made that exclamation, Wretched man that I am. Remember it? You can't hardly forget that. Who will set me free? 
Now you can see how it's tied in to what he is trying to say to his Jewish brethren. You see, he laid himself wide open, transparent as could be, Paul did. And he says in chapter 7, look back and read it again and watch it come maybe to more light this morning than it did maybe whenever before for you. He says, wretched man that I am. You see, I too, he says, I am an Israelite. And I am a wretched man. Who is going to set me free from this body of death? And then he says in verse 25, answering that question, thanks be to God. It's been done through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he jumps into chapter 8, verse 1, saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This isn't the only place that this is taught. It's taught frequently in the Bible, but there's a, a place that kind of parallels it in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. Listen to these words. The writer of Acts says, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through Him, through Christ, in Christ alone, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And, verse 39 through Him, through Jesus Christ, to everyone who believes. And then he talks to the Jewish brethren. He says, to everyone who believes, they are freed from all things then, from which, he says, you, talking about the brethren of the Israelites, you could not be freed through the law of Moses. In other words, your heritage can't do what your faith can do for you. Your traditions, your rituals, they won't work anymore. Salvation only comes through faith and faith in Christ alone. So, with that in mind, he feeds them verse 1. He begins by assuring them of his honesty and integrity. He says, I am telling you the truth in Christ. I am not lying, he says. And then he brings God into the testimony, saying, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So I'm not just saying these words to you. Before God, I am saying to you that I am telling you the truth. I am not lying. And then Paul says, it is with great sorrow. It is with un." unceasing grief in my heart that you have been separated from Christ because you've refused to believe. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was on the road to Damascus. Do you know why he was going to Damascus? He was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. He was going to Damascus to put them in jail or to have them murdered, Christians. And on the way to Damascus, the Lord appears to him, knocks him off of his donkey, and blinds him so that he can't see. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am him who you are persecuting. And then he tells him, I'm going to send you into Damascus, into a street called Straight. And he says, there you await, and a man named Ananias will come to you and tell you what to do. And then the Lord appears to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul. Paul's name at that time was Saul before the Lord changed it to Paul. I want you to go to Saul and I want you to tell him this. And Ananias goes and he says to him, God has told me to say to you, Saul, 
that you are a chosen instrument of His. You are to bear His name before the Gentiles, kings, and the sons of Israel. So Paul's grief for the Jewish brethren was a godly grief that came from God being a chosen instrument of our Lord's. Which leads us into verse 3. Paul's saying, for I could wish. Now, my studies this week, I think I found the answer to my dilemma, at least, about this verse. Key found in this verse is the first four words. For I could wish that I were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, for my kinsmen according to the flesh. In other words, for Israel. But what Paul knew is what you and I have learned. Paul could not reject his salvation. He could not lose his salvation and become accursed. Why did he know this? Because he taught us what we are trying to teach in the first eight verse chapters. Paul's salvation was not his to keep nor to reject. It was God who kept Paul eternally safe. In fact, when Jesus Christ walked the earth in John chapter 10, the Jews were always trying to entrap him. They always wanted him to say what they they wanted him to say whatever it is they he was saying, but they wanted to entrap him. And so they said to him, "Tell us plainly, are you the Christ?" And he says, "I've already told you, but you just won't listen." Then he said these words in John chapter 10, verses 27, 28, and 29. I've read to you before. You already know these verses. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You and I, if you've trusted in Christ, are a follower of Jesus Christ. That's our mission in life. He goes on to say in the 28th verse, And I give eternal life, to them, those who follow him. Watch now. And they will never perish. No one, not even your own self, will be able to snatch yourself out of Jesus' hands. Then he says in the next verse, verse 29, And my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Even more security. You and I, who have trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are held securely by God the Father and God the Son. And nobody, nobody knew that better than Paul. He knew that salvation salvation to a person was the most precious gift and treasure they could ever receive. And he also knew that only Christ's sacrificial death upon the cross had the power to save somebody, and if someone decided to reject Jesus Christ's salvation, only He, Christ, has the power to condemn a soul to hell. So salvation was not Paul's to give or to receive, excuse me, to give or to reject or to lose. Paul had no power to take anyone's salvation away any more than he did to take his own away. And so that's why he says, for I could wish, but I can't. 
Now, there is no reason for you or me to doubt that Paul's amazing statement of self-sacrifice was the expression of a completely honest and pure heart. I believe he believed that, that. I believe he wanted them to know how much he loved them. Above anyone else, Paul knew the ins and the outs of accepting and walking with Christ. He had just finished teaching chapter 8 about the believer's absolute security in Christ, saying that nothing, nobody can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And yet Paul's love for the lost, especially Israel, gave him the heart to, if he could, surrender his most intimate and eternal blessing, if in doing so, if he could sacrifice it for them, it could bring his Jewish brethren to the blessings that he knew and felt in Christ. What a godly man Paul is. Can you understand even a little bit why I can't wait to just look at him? That's all I want to do. I just want to look at him. I just... What makes a man like that? I think it's exactly what God saw of Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul's great love for people made him a powerful chosen instrument of God in the hands of an almighty God. Which led me to write these words. You know, ministry has very little effect if the person ministering has little love for the lost or for the people that God has given either him or her. For those of you and myself who are in ministry, not, I'm not talking about like, you know, professionally ministry, but you know, taking care of kids or, or, or being an usher or whatever it is that God has given you to do, making the breakfasts, serving the breakfasts, uh, giving someone a smile. It doesn't really matter. I believe that we have, a, have to have a love for one another, and that's what I think... To me, this is so unique about our church. I, I've, last week was one of the most precious weeks. About three or four different families came to me who have never been here be, or have just started coming or had never been here before. There was one family that sat right there where you guys are. African-American people, I thought. I thought they were from this community, and I got really pumped up because I want to see us a multicultural church. I would love to see us have all, you know, just all types of flavors and stuff here. And so I walked up to them afterwards, and they were from Nigeria. And the guy had, to use a, a, a phrase that you'll hear sometimes, uh, he had the Shekinah glory all over him. This guy just glowed with the love of Christ. And he told me he was from Nigeria, and he, he said that they were looking, he and his wife were looking for a place to go to church because they, lived, they were staying in the area, and they opened up something, and they found our church. By the grace of God, they came here. And he said, am I so thankful he said, he complimented me, which was a kind thing to say, but he also has complimented us. And he said, I have felt the love of Christ from the moment I walked in those doors. My wife and myself and our two children have been treated like, like we've been here forever. And I thought to myself, good on you. Way to go. Way to go, church. 
And it wasn't just them. It was two other families as I was leaving said that they had been praying for this, this building. They saw it being built and they were praying for this, that there would be people in it and they could come to it and, and, and worship the Lord. And they are so thankful that they have a place that is, that is preaching now the Word of God, what they wanted from the very get-go when they saw this place being built. And they said, too, there is such a love in this place. I thank you for that. I do. I love you people more than you'll ever know. In fact, I wrote, and if you forgive me for saying this, I believe that is what our Lord has given me for you. I love you more than I understand. I mean, I don't get it. I love you guys so much. I mean, I'm on vacation in Belize, and I'm thinking about you guys. And I want to go home. I love being with my family. Don't get me wrong. I do love my family. But I love you guys just as if you are family. I thank God for that. Because up to the time I became a Christian, this I, I didn't say it in any other service. I'm just saying it now. The only person I really truly loved my whole life was myself. That's it. I just wanted to be a Major League Baseball player and I wanted everybody to worship me. That wasn't good enough. And then God changed my life. He did. So you think Paul was God's only selfless servant? Not so much. Listen to Moses on Mount Sinai. Moses was reasoning with God on Mount Sinai. And Moses said in Exodus chapter 32, verse 32, listen to Moses. He says to God, God, if you will forgive their sins talking about the people of Israel down below. If you'll forgive their sins, and if not, if you will not forgive their sins, he says, then please blot me out from your book which you have written. Moses said those words to God face to face. Well, we expect it from Paul. We expect it from Moses. But how about John Knox, who was a missionary? John Knox prayed before he went to Scotland, Lord, give me Scotland or I die. Another missionary, David Brainerd, prayed, Oh God, that I might burn out for you, which he did. He died before he turned 30. I want you and me to have love for people in this place. So let's go to the end of this, verses 4 and 5, before we have communion. Paul says to his earthly brethren, the Israelites, he says, look, you, verse 4, he says, you are Israelites. Here's what you have. It belongs to you, the adoption as sons. It belongs to you, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, temple service, the promises. It all belongs to you. It comes through our fathers, our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the rest. And from whom comes from you, Israel, the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all and God blessed forever. Amen, he says. In these two verses, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, for it's the privileges that belong to Israel, but they also now belong to us who have been adopted into the family of God. Us, like all of Israel, have been adopted into God's family. But Israel, way before us, 
God told Moses to say to Pharaoh way back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, go to Pharaoh, God told Moses, and say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, says God, my firstborn, says the Lord. But so there is no misunderstanding. Paul writes in verse 6, which we will study next week, it is not as though the word of God has failed, but they are not all Israel who are descendants from Israel. In other words, just being born into this certain family doesn't give you free passage to God. Look what he says in verse 8. That is, it is not the children of the flesh, it's not you who are Israel, who are the children of God. But the children of God are the children of the promise. They are regarded as descendants. It is faith. It's always going to be faith for the rest of your life and my life. So Israel, nonetheless, as a nation, was a nation that God sovereignly bestowed His special calling, covenant, blessings, protections, attention upon them. But if you'll note, studying the Old Testament, God's blessing to Israel was to the nation, not to individuals. In the Old Testament, God does not refer to himself as the father of individual Jews, but rather the father of Israel. But in the New Testament, that takes a shift. In the New Testament, God is called the father of individual Christians. We just studied it. Chapter 8, verse 15. Paul says, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit as adoption, as sons by which and daughters, by which we cry out, Abba, or Daddy, Father. You know, it's interesting, among the most important reason that Jesus Christ claimed to be God in human flesh, it was the, the claim that he named God as his own personal father, is what upset the Jews the most. Well, it upset them. I think the most was that he claimed to be God. But in John chapter 10, we just read earlier, when they asked him, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? At the end he says, I and the Father are one. And he referred to God in a very personal way, seeing, saying that God is his own Father, which, which made them irate with him. Secondly, in verse 4, God also gave Israel His glory. That means His physical presence. There's a number of places in the Old Testament we can read about it. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 10, Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the sons of Israel. And they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, they saw the glory of God appearing to them in a cloud. His physical presence was with them. Also in verse 4, he gave them the covenants. And the covenants was given on Mount Sinai and God gave Israel her covenants, which was an agreement between him and Israel. Just to name a few, he gave them protection, peace, friendship with God, and on and on if they would follow and be obedient to him. Also he gave the giving of the law. Well, Israel was privileged by giving of the law of God to Moses. In other words, it was through Moses that they received and we received the Ten Commandments. They also received, verse 4, temple worship or temple services. 
This was how Israel worshipped God, and more importantly, how Israel dealt with their sin. They would take to the temple and the service an animal or whatever they could afford for the forgiveness of their sin. To Israel, in verse 4, he gave the promises. That refers to the promised coming Messiah and the promised kingdom that was theirs, eternal life which was theirs, that would come out of Israel. Reminding them in verse 5 who are their fathers, their forefathers, the, the first great patriarchs of the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on and on, from whom God laid the foundation of blessings for them and for us. And lastly, in verse 5, Paul says, Out of Israel came Christ, the Messiah, according to the flesh. You see, Jesus Christ was not incidentally born a Jew. He was preordained to be a, a descendant of Abraham and David. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, through the genealogy of Jesus, through Joseph, we see that, G that Jesus was born a Jew out of Joseph. And then in Luke chapter 3, verse 23 to 38, we see that he came from the genealogy of Mary, a Jew. And when Jesus saw the Samaritan woman at the well, he told her clear clearly that salvation comes from the Jew. John chapter 4. And so John, excuse me, Paul ends in verse 5 by saying, this one called Jesus, the Christ who is, comes out of your flesh, out of your line. He is over all and he is God blessed forever. Now guys, would you mind coming forward with the communion? These words that Paul just wrote that that he is to be over all and blessed forever. It's not a blessing or, or a benediction. It is an affirmation of who Christ is. It is a, a very essence of his divine majesty and lordship that he is to be blessed forever. That's why that song, the last song that we sang, was so special. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth full of his glory. Jesus is the supreme blessing and being of mankind. And yet, Paul is, is devastated that so many people have rejected him. This tragic unbelief of Israel is what grieved the heart of Paul, and I might also add the heart of God Almighty. And so as we go to the Lord in communion, I want you to think for a moment. I'll be quiet in a little bit. And I want you to just take a time to reflect upon who Jesus Christ is to you and what he means to you. Remember, remember the things that he has done for you. In my life, it's, it's important for me. I, I don't know that it is necessarily for you to have. I have things all over the house. I have things in my car. I have things when I drive that remind me of my Lord. Um, I, I usually have a watch that beeps every hour. Uh, this one Dr. Stroman gave me, and um, it's a beautiful watch. It doesn't beep, though, on the hour. I do, though, wear the other one. And the reason it beeps on the hour for me is not to tell me what time it is. It's irrelevant to me. It beeps as a reminder to me of how am I walking with Christ. And sometimes that doggone thing beeps at the most inopportune moment. I can be in a very juicy argument or something. And... Um, I've learned and, and, and 
kind of helped myself to get to a place where I stop and ask for forgiveness as soon as that happens. I would encourage you to have reminders in your life about Christ. It's easy to be kind of all about Him right now. We're in church. It's about when we leave here. It's about tomorrow when we go back to work. How do we represent our Lord? How do we walk with Him? What, what kind of passion and, and commitment do we have to our Savior? And so I'm going to give you a, about, oh, 15, 20 seconds to just think. And don't, you don't need to dredge in there. The Holy Spirit is really good at convicting you of sin. If He convicts you of sin, I beg of you, deal with it. Um, ask for forgiveness if need be. If He doesn't give you anything to think of, just thank Him for that fact. And then remember, what does Jesus Christ mean to you? So I'm going to be quiet for about half a minute. Can I take us to a place that's not normally done with communion, but we've just studied it in chapter 8 of Romans? When Paul asks the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He says, I, I believe that we overwhelmingly conquer through Christ who loves us. And then Paul says, I am convinced that nothing shall be able to separate you and me from the love of Christ, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. With that in mind, remember all the wonders of our Lord, what He has done, what He means to you. Would you take of the bread right now in respect for who He is? After they took of the bread and He told them, this is my body, he was about to go to the cross for them. And he lifted up some wine. He said, now this is my blood. When you drink of it, drink of it in remembrance of me, for it is for the forgiveness of your sin. He was going to shed his blood upon the cross for our sin. When you think about that, think about it fully, that your Lord God has forgiven you any and all wrongdoing. Let's walk with him passionately. Dear Father, thank you so much. God, bless this church. Thank you so much for the people that are here. I pray your blessings upon each one. And that, Father, that um, they would sense your presence within their lives, not just now, but all through the week. Bring us back again next week, Father, completely refreshed and wanting to hear more about your wonders. Lord, I, I love these people so much. I wish I could say I love them as much as Paul did, his, his brethren, but I, I would never compare myself to your servant, Paul. But I do thank you, Lord, that somehow, someway, you've given me a love for these people that goes beyond anything that I really comprehend. Will you bless us, Father? More importantly, Will you allow us to live a life this day that blesses you? I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
I do love you more than you'll ever know. More than you'll ever know. God bless you. Have a great day. See you all.